is the message that I had kind of planned on doing when we weren't here because it was Palm Sunday and I didn't really have it all done but I kind of thought well I needed to go in that direction and then it didn't happen that way but I was looking at it through this week and tried to go a different direction and I couldn't because I'm not so much looking at uh, Christ's triumphal entry as I am about our attitude and we had we need to look at our attitudes all the time don't we uh, we can have a good attitude or a bad attitude, but um, it's up to us. Now, we know that the triumphal entry is kind of like a parade, and some parades that we see, especially on uh, Thanksgiving Day, they deal with, they have all these great floats, and they have marching bands, and they have balloon characters, and, and some people, though I don't understand, they camp out for hours to see a parade. It's just... <laughs> Man, why in the world would you do that? I've never done that. Our parents never did that. I was on one float that I remember when I was younger, and it was called Galena Days, kind of like the uh, 24th down here. And it was called Galena Days, and a similar theme, and the guys all had to grow beards, and if they didn't, they got thrown in jail. So it was kind of a lot of fun. But I got to ride on a float. I just remember being on the float. I don't remember what the float looked like or anything because I was just a little kid. My dad was driving it, and I remember my dad turned around and said, you're supposed to wave. <laughs> you know? So, but parades are kind of fun to go to. We always go to the ones when they have them here, but we don't camp out for it. Aren't you glad we don't have to camp out for our parades? I wouldn't do it. I'd miss the parade. <laughs> so, but in a parade, we kind of never know what's coming, do we? And life is kind of like a parade. We never know what's going to happen from day to day. We kind of just have to, when it happens, it happens. But uh, our attitude um, is affected by what happens to us. But it shouldn't. We should have the kind of same attitude all the time, no matter what happens in our life. But our attitude kind of is affected by things that happen to us. If you have bad days, you usually have a bad attitude. And as believers, we're supposed to have a good attitude all the time. And uh, Jesus requires it. But has anyone ever told you you need to get a good attitude or get your attitude adjusted? Anybody ever said that to you? We've said that to our kids when they start messing up because they, you know, get upset when things happen to them. And we tell them, you know, get your attitude adjusted or I will adjust it for you. I know we can't do a lot of that stuff now. Well, it wouldn't matter to me as a parent whether we were allowed to spank our kids or, or not because we would have done it anyway. We kind of entered, ended up in the tail end of that era where they started treating kids like they, they were the bosses in our world. I called them, they treated them like little gods that we're supposed to worship and they're supposed to do whatever they want and get away with it. Well, I didn't believe in that. We didn't believe in that. And if we told our kids something, if you do this, you're going to get a spanking, you get a spanking. I don't care if you was four or you was 16 or 18. Didn't matter to us. You lived in our house, our rules. Well, in God's house, it's God's rules, isn't it? And I remember one time that we went up to a place we used to have, some property we used to have when the kids were younger, and they had all of them had motorcycles that they rode, and our kids were spoiled rotten little but uh, this one, when we come back, of course, Jason had dumped his bike a few times, so we had some bruises from, from that. And it seemed like that 
every week went up there, somebody got bruised somewhere. But anyway, the kids knew that if you slough school, you're going to be in trouble and you're going to get your butt spanked. Well, he decided to test that when he was a junior, I think, in high school. Thought he was too big for all these rules, and we found out about it. And uh, we spanked him. (laughs) (laughs) Or Randy spanked him, you know. My attitude sometimes, I remember one time he smarted off to me, and I punched him in the mouth. (laughs) They're too big to spank. (laughs) But I could punch him in the mouth, and I punched him in the mouth, and his head bounced off the wall, and he said, that didn't hurt. I says, you want me to hit you again? No. <laughs> I know you're already thinking, man, I was a terrible mother, wasn't you? <laughs> but this was the weekend he decided he was going to leave, and he said, I'm going to tell the cops on you. And Randy went over and dialed the phone, said, called the police, said, hey, we have a kid here that doesn't want to be here, and uh, he's given us some issues. So they come, handcuffed him, and hauled him off. Woo, that's kind of blunt, wasn't it? <laughs> but they didn't want us to discipline our kids, so they took them to this, to where, this, they called it, uh, I guess, detention center or whatever. And they talked to him, and they found out he had bruises and thought we were abusing our kids, so they called us in, and we had to go talk to these people. And they asked us about our parenting skills. And we told them how that we raised our kids, that we, a lot of times we allowed them to choose their punishment. And because their punishment was usually harder than what we would have done. But they kind of felt like, well, I did set this out. Okay, I did it. And uh, they asked us what our parenting skill was, and we kind of explained that. And, and the, the one lady says, man, I wish I'd have been growing up in your house. <laughs> but she says, you can't spank your kids. If they give you problems, just call us, and we'll take them to time out. That's kind of stupid, isn't it? You know, by the time you go through all that, and then, of course, you have to go down and pick them up after three days at the detention center, and hopefully that changed their attitude. But to me, that kind of encourages more of it because they're around uh, some kids that have done a lot worse than (laughs) back-talking or stuff. But anyway, and we told them, hey, we told our kids if they're disobedient, they're going to get a spanking, they're going to get a spanking. So anyway, we got to go and no problems, but... That's the kind of attitude we have in the kid, with kids that are growing up, aren't they? We have a generation now of what they call the millennials. And uh, I don't know why they call them that. They, they should call them the entitlement generation. Because they're growing up thinking, hey, everything's free. Just give me money. It's up to you. I didn't ask to be born, so you're supposed to support me the rest of my life. Believe me, that isn't the generation we raised our kids in. And we raised our kids t- to uh, with chores, responsibilities, and they didn't do those things. There was punishment involved. And uh, But this generation, I'll tell you, I'm glad I'm not a parent because I could not handle it. I'd probably be in jail. <laughs> but the reality is as soon as we get away from the godly principles, we have problems, don't we? The Bible says, spare the rod and spoil the child. I didn't spare the rod, neither did we didn't spare the rod. So if you're trying to raise your kids without God's discipline, you're going to have a lot more problems than what uh, you do now. But uh, a bad attitude can destroy relationships and hurt us in the long run. Chuck Swindoll said, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on our life. 
Attitude to me is more important than facts, the past, education, money, circumstances, failures, successes, what people think or say or do, appearances, gifted or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, or a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we will embrace for that day. We can't change our past or the inevitable. The only thing we can do is change our attitude. I'm convinced that life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we react to it. We are in charge of our attitudes. Now, Christ's triumphal entry was a time to examine attitudes towards God and each other. The, um, the attitude of envy and jealousy was involved in this, in this type of a, a situation. And this was the first and only time that Jesus proclaimed himself king. The only time that he said, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one you were looking for. And uh, this was, of course, one week before he was getting ready to die on the cross for our sin. Because that was the main reason Jesus came, was to die. Uh, Matthew 21, 1 to 3. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent to his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. Now this word Lord in this verse is kurios, which means God, Lord, or Master. So Jesus was basically saying, if they ask you, just say God needs it. And uh, this is the first opportunity for the people, or the disciples especially, to have an attitude. Would they be uh, jealous or envious of the ones that Jesus sent to do this? Because that's an opportunity, that God is using someone in a certain way and letting them do it, but not choosing us. If we're uh, envious or of someone else and what they're doing, we need to check our attitude because that isn't the kind of attitude that God wants us to have. Now, this kind of an attitude also makes us question their motives, their intentions, and they, we end up saying things that should never be said about someone, whether it's because they got the job at work that you wanted and you didn't get or whatever the situation is in the church. Of course, we usually don't have that problem. We have the opposite problem, trying to get people to do something around here. <laughs> um, of course, we don't have a lot of things, you know, that to do, but uh, we usually uh, are just the opposite of this. Uh, suppose Jesus had told you, go to Stephen Wade Toyota near the main entrance. There will be a brand new red Avalon with the keys inside of it. Bring it back to me, but if security or police ask you what you're doing in the car, just tell them that God needs it. How many would be uncomfortable with that? All of a sudden, hey, God wants to have you do that? Go right ahead. <laughs> because, but that is essence what happened. See, because donkeys were the vehicles of the day. People had to be kind of well off to have a donkey because it wasn't something, you know, that people, everyone had unless they had the money to have it and the way to take care of it. So... If you're going in and taking someone's donkey, remember in the old wild, wild west, they hung horse thieves. <laughs> they, probably, they, prob they probably did here too. I don't really know. So it was kind of something that maybe, you know, okay, God, it's all right. Go let someone else do that job. I don't, I'm not, that's okay with me. And then if it had been us, 
what would we have done? Now, um, God can't choose some of us because he knows we won't follow through, especially if there are obstacles involved. If God wants us to do something, we ask, well, I don't know whether I can do it or not, or I don't have enough money to do it, and we're kind of looking at all the obstacles that are involved in doing what God has called us to do. And that's, that's just normal for human beings, isn't it? Especially if it's something that God wants us to do. And we usually know what God wants us to do. Whether we admit it or not is another thing. But uh, we think, okay, God, I'll just sit here in my pew and be happy. I don't, don't let me do anything. I'm okay with that. But this is the first opportunity that they had to have an attitude against these, these two disciples. And Jesus didn't tell them to f- defend yourself. He didn't say that. He just said, to say what I told you to say. And that's what God does to us when he wants us to to witness to somebody. He said, don't worry about what you're going to say. I will tell you what to say when you're there. But we have to have the faith in order to do that, don't we? We have to know that Jesus will come through. And anytime God has told us to do something, he will come through. No matter how ridiculous it may seem or sound, God will do it if he asks you to do it. He will come through. Now, people may not. People may break, break promises to you, but God never will. If he tells you to do something, he'll give you the way to do it and the means. Maybe not before you do it. You might have to step in the water before the water's part. And that first step is kind of scary. But when we take that first step of faith, that's when God kicks in and does what he says he'll do. <clears throat> Now, when they tell these, this owner of this uh, donkey that the owners, that Jesus needed it or that God needed it, their attitude changed from anger to cooperation. Sometimes when we do things for, for God, people may be angry about it, but then we tell them the reasoning behind it, then their attitudes will ch- can change. And not only did the owner send the cold, he sent the mother as well. So sometimes when we do something that God wants us to do, we get more than what we're expected to get. But we don't ever know which is that is until we're obedient. Now, at this time frame in history, a donkey was used by kings when they entered the city in peace. A horse or a stallion was used when the king entered a city as the conqueror. Now, we know that this time Jesus came as a king of peace. Next time he's coming on a horse, isn't he? And it means he's coming as a conqueror. Now, I want to take care of the God of peace on the donkey, not the one on the stallion. As believers, we look forward to that time when he comes back, don't we? Man, we're really looking forward to that time. I'll tell you, we get to come with him, too. And for, for those of you that, that have an issue with it, where the rapture takes place, it takes place before he comes the second time and sets up his kingdom because we can't come with him if we're not there. That makes sense? Some of this stuff in the Bible we have trouble with. If we look at it in common sense, it makes sense. So when that happens in history, I don't know. Only God knows. I know that there's nothing specifically that has to be fulfilled before the rapture takes place. But I, when, once the rapture takes place, I think that starts the calendar for that seven-year time frame. And at the end of that seven years, we're going to come back with him. But I don't want to be here because all hell is going to break loose on this earth, and I don't want to be here. So we can take care of that right now by accepting the king on the donkey, the king that wants peace, 
instead of the one that is coming as a conqueror. <clears throat> now the donkey was also used to carry burdens and people. So Jesus not only presented himself as the king of peace, he presented him as the one who will carry our burdens. He will carry our sin. So he presented himself like that, and that's why that particular animal was, uh, was chosen. Now the only problem that we have is accepting him and letting him do it. See, sometimes we want to accept him, but then we want to tell him how to do it. Have you ever tried to tell God what to do? I have. And sometimes he reminds me very sharply who's in charge. So sometimes we have to, we get away and we start trying to do our own thing, but then God uses circumstances or different things to get us back over here where he wants us. Because God wants us in the center of his will, not just on the outskirts so we can stick our foot over here in the world. He wants us right in the center of his will. And if we want to be there, God will show us where that center of his will is. We don't have to worry about it. And you say, well, I don't know what to do. Well, keep doing whatever it is God told you to do until he tells you to do something different. And there, God, a lot of God's will is right in here. If we read his word, we're going to find out what God's will is for us as a people. And uh, like I said, God has the ability to take this word and reflect it to our own lives. If we read it. I've read through this Bible every year for, I don't know how many years. And every year when I read it, I get something new out of it. Randy doesn't like it when I do that because I'm sitting there and I read it to him and I try to tell him what I'm reading because he's reading something else. <laughs> and he doesn't get it like I did. Do you do that? Any of you do that? You know, when, when God opens the word to our hearts, man, it's whoa. But it's a woe to us. It isn't necessarily going to be a woe to somebody else. So, but you can keep telling them if you want, and I do, he ain't going to stop me, but uh, we need to understand that. <clears throat> now, Matthew 21, 7 to 8. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. As Christ enters the city, different attitudes start to show themselves. The first attitude was those that wanted to offer the best that they had for Jesus. These is the group that took off their coats and their cloaks, whatever it is, and they threw it down on the ground for, for Jesus and the donkey to walk on. They didn't think about whether or not it's going to ruin those things. They didn't care about that. Their focus was on honoring Jesus with best and everything that they had. And they just did that without one caring whether or not it was their clothing was not usable anymore. They didn't think about that. That's the group that has the great attitude towards Christ. And that's the attitude that God wants us to have. And whatever we have, God expects the best, not our leftovers. Now, there was a second attitude that day. Now, it's the attitude of giving, even if it's not the best they, could ha they have. This is the group that went and cut off palm branches and threw them in the path for Jesus to walk on. Now, they still worshiping God, they were still honoring God, but they were honoring with a little bit held back. They didn't think, well, maybe it's okay, I want to honor him, I want to be part of this parade here, but uh, uh, I'm not really fully, you know, committed to a certain degree. 
Now, this is most of the, the group that we have in churches today. They come to church every week. They uh, are faithful to come, uh, but they are, they're kind of, they don't get as involved as, a, as another group will, but at least they're here and they're faithful. And if you're here and you're faithful, God can speak to you. And God can change your heart towards everything that's in our life. So that's why it's important to be faithful to the church. Be faithful to the body of, this body of believers that we belong to. Now, this is your body of believers. We're all a part of the body. Here, God put this church here. I didn't. Whoever's brother uh, Vern Fink, who I know, knew very well. And Pastor Smith, of course, you've met him, uh, who helped start this church originally. They had a vision for it. But it was God's vision through them that they responded to is the reason we have a church here. And every pastor that has come before me has contributed something to this church. And if the Lord tarries, there'll be pastors after me that'll contribute something to this church. Now, I don't know how long God's going to tarry. I wish it was today. I'm ready to go home. And if you're not ready to go home, check your attitude. <laughs> because as a believer, we are so anxious to see God. We're so anxious to be changed, to be like him. And if you're not anxious for that to happen, then check your attitude. And allow God to change it. Say, God, my attitude stinks. Change it. And he will. Because that's what he does. He changes us, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. See, religion is something that tries to change us from the outside in. And you can't be changed like that. We have to change from the inside out in order for salvation and God's grace to work through us. Because just because Jesus died on the cross doesn't mean I'm saved. The only way I'm saved is if I come to him and accept what he did for me on that cross. So there's a whole world out there that says, I believe in Jesus, but they haven't accepted him as their savior. Now, in the world we live in, they'd be a fool not to believe that Jesus existed. And if you ask them, 80% of the people in America say they're Christians. Well, if they're 80% of the world, is, our United States is Christian, then how come we're in such a mess? They have the head, the head knowledge, not the heart knowledge. <clears throat> uh, there's a third attitude that day made up of those who never became part of the parade. Now, this is the group that stood along the outside and kind of watched the parade as it went by, did a little clap once in a while. Yay, yay, team, no big deal. And as soon as it was over, they just went about their business. It never affected them at all. They could care less. They just thought it was just interesting to see what's going on. And we have a lot of people that do that. Usually a lot of people, when they start coming to church, this part of this group, that just wants to see what's going on. What in the world is that church about? What do they teach down there? So they'll come just because they're for curiosity's sake. And because that curiosity draws them here, then God can touch, touch to them. He can talk to them somewhere, somewhere else, of course. But this is the best opportunity for people to meet Jesus is here because we're preaching his word. If you get people to come here out of curiosity or whatever, then God is the one that's going to have to speak to them. I've told you many times, I can't save anybody. And I'll tell you, that took a burden off of me like you would not believe. Because we think, oh man, if I don't talk to that person, they're going to go to hell. Or if I mess up when I'm talking to that person, they're going to go to hell. No, they won't. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with God. 
And we can't keep someone from going to heaven or hell. Only God can. All we can do is be obedient to what God has called us to do. And if we mess up, don't worry about it. They're not going to go to hell because you messed up. Otherwise, you have more power than God. And I don't and you don't. So let that burden be lifted off of you and don't worry about it. If you mess up, God will work it out somehow because something that you say is going to touch their heart. Because God said, when you talk about me, when you talk about my word, it will never return void. It's going to plant a seed. A lot of people have gotten saved because somebody spent 40 years plowing that field and planting those seeds and never seeing one thing sprout. And then the next guy comes by and he waters it and starts getting a little bit of action. But then someone else comes, and I'm not kidding you, the walls just bust open with people coming to see God, seek God. And it isn't because that person was so great or had any difference as far as that anything is concerned. It's part of the process. God used that first person down the road to talk to them, plant the seeds, and then God used it to create every environment that they need to accept him. If you look at your path to finding God, all of our paths are probably going to be different. My path was different, and so was Randy's. But God used the circumstances in our life and directed us a certain direction in order to save us. And he does the same thing with each one of you. God is not just a one one way that we can come to God. Well, he's the only way, but only one path that God uses to to lead us to him. We all have a different path that God has allowed circumstances to get us the road. He affects our roadmap of life to get us where he wants us to be so we can accept him. <clears throat> the fourth attitude we see is, well, the Lord knows my heart. This is a group that claims to know Jesus but aren't committed to anything or any church. They say, oh, I can go out in the mountains and worship God. I don't have to go to church. That's true, you don't have to go to church. You get to go to church. God is the one that called the church into existence. He didn't say, okay, come and know me, and then go out in the mountains every week and just look at the beauty of it. No, he did not. He called us to be assembled together. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together because we get strength from assembling together. And he says, do it even more often as you see the day approaching. And we're looking, and there's a day approaching I don't know when that day's going to happen or what it's going to bring, but there is a day coming forth, and we need to come together more, not less. So this is the group that says, oh, God knows my heart, and I can worship Jesus out there in the mountains. And I ask them, and when they tell you that, you ask them, do you? How do you worship God out there in the mountains? Do you have a church service? Do you sing praises and do a Bible study? Well, no, I just go out there and look. I go out there and... Or... That's how I worship God. Really? (laughs) That doesn't sound like a worship service I've ever been part of. How would you feel if I come up here with a rifle? I'm going to worship God now. Or I'm going to worship God with a tennis racket. Or a hammer. I've got a hammer. I'm going to hammer in the morning. How many know that song? (laughs) All us old people. (laughs) 
So most of us, when they say that, they say, I can worship God anywhere. And yes, that's true, and we should. And I'm not saying if you don't attend a church service, it's going to make you go to hell. But I am saying, why don't you want to go to church? Because when Jesus changes our hearts, he, there's something in me, and with me, I don't know about you, but I wanted to be in church every single opportunity I could. I wanted to be around the righteous people of God, the ones that are called, even though they're with all their flaws and all their mistakes that they made. I want to be there. I'm tired of being out in the world with all the oppression that I've felt and all the persecution that, that you feel as a believer. You think, well, man, I'm not persecuted. Well, then you're not being, being forceful in your testimony. Because as soon as you start talking about God, they're going to start not liking you. When I started talking about God in places that worked, they made fun of me. They talked about me behind my back. Told me I was a, a fool and a, you name it, they called me. That name didn't matter to me. I didn't care. I was going to keep on doing it. I was going to keep reading my, the gospel on my, on my lunch break. I'm going to continue to do those things, and every opportunity I have, I'm going to do it. But those same people that talked about me behind my back were the first ones to come to me when they had a need. Will you pray with me about this? Isn't that, have you found that to be true? Because that when something happens to people's lives, they want somebody that has an inside track to God, or they think they do. And they come to you, and that's a good opportunity. I had one lady that had a mouth. Well, I used to curse like a sailor before I got saved. But she put me to shame. And, but, you know, of course, she curbed her, her language around me when I started. You know, I told her, I said, you know, I like you a lot, but I can't handle it when you're taking my Lord's name in vain. Because to me, it's just like bad-mouthing my kid. And as parents, we don't like people bad-mouthing our kids, do we? And she said, and she apologized. Said she wouldn't do it, and she didn't. She was very careful. If something slipped out, she apologized. But she was the first one. She says, "You know, I really don't feel good right now. I got this terrible headache, and that would you pray for me?" I said, "Okay, how about right now?" <laughs> oh. And it was about an hour later. She comes back. You know, my headache's gone. See, when we step out in faith, God backs up what we do. So don't worry about it. What are they going to do? If you're doing it on company time, then you, you need maybe not to do that. I don't care who people were that worked for me. I told them, I don't care what you're talking about. You won't talk about anything that, that's offensive to somebody while you're at work. On your break, that's your time. It's not my time. But on my time, I'm not having you causing anything. I don't care whether you're talking about God or not. I say, oh, no, a pastor? You did that? I says, yes. Because when we're at work, our time belongs to the person that is paying ours, who signs our checks. Now, I have to do my job the way God wants me to do it and be a blessing to that place I work. But uh, he didn't call me to preach on the job unless it's on my own time. Then you can do what you want in that aspect of it. Because they do, don't they? I remember one time I was at lunch, and this one guy, every, every day at lunch, he'd sit, come in there, and he'd talk about his conquests. Well, I'd had it up to here with that, and I went to my boss. And I told him, I says, hey, this needs to be stopped, otherwise I'm going to get up on the table every day at lunch and start preaching. <laughs> well, they took care of that problem right away. 
Not only that, that guy come and apologized to me. So just staying in there, you know, do what God wants you to do. And you say, well, that's kind of radical. Yeah, I'm a radical Christian. And sometimes I don't say things the way I need to say. And sometimes God has to slap my mouth or goes. And in those times, I have to apologize. And I do. I go and apologize to people. I hate apologizing, don't you? Man, it just, oh, it just grits through so bad. But when I mess up and I have to apologize, I do. So if you need to apologize to somebody, do it. Because you're not going to have peace until you do. So you might as well get it out of the way. And then it's a good opportunity to testify. I've had to come to people and says, you know, when I said something yesterday, the Lord wasn't pleased with that, and I just want to apologize to you. And they go, wow, really? And all of a sudden, they take notice. And then they'll start asking you questions. So do it God's way, and uh, <clears throat> we will always be in the right, right path. Uh, Matthew 21, 9 to 11. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Like I said before, this was the only time that Jesus proclaimed himself to be king and, uh, and the Messiah that they were looking for. Now, Hosanna literally means to save us now, or you're the one God has sent to save us now. So every time you say Hosanna, you're saying, God, save us now. So that's a good thing. You know, I want to, Hosanna's a lot shorter, isn't it? <laughs> Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed be he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, the people were hoping that Jesus had come to overthrow the Roman government. That's why they thought he came. And so they were excited at the opportunity that finally we're going to be under the thumb of the Roman government. And we have a whole group of people today that thinks, thinks Christ should save us from government. But he didn't die to save us from government. Jesus says, I bring up governments and I take them down. And I've had people tell me I'm not a Christian because of the candidates that I'm supporting. I go, really? You're not a Christian for telling me that. <laughs> That's not Christian behavior. I had uh, one guy that we went to at Valley that what, 30, oh, 25, 30 years ago, whatever it was. He says, now wait a minute here. I've known her for all these years, and she's the most godly woman I've ever met. Oh, well, thank you, thank you. <laughs> no. <laughs> but it didn't matter. Don't let people get you like that, because they try to influence as believers by saying, this is what Christians do. They vote for this candidate, or that candidate, or they do this, and they do that, and they try to get us to where they want us to be. Now, I think that we should pray, and seek God on who, what we have to do there. But he didn't come to die for government. He came to die for our sin on a cross. And like I've told you many times, we, we try to vote for the most Christian guy that's running. And they're all lying. <laughs> I don't care who they are. They've all been caught in lies. It doesn't make any difference. And I'm tired of sending people there that, that claim to do all this stuff for God. And then when they get there, they forget who put them there. And then they spend the next 30 years running for office. That's all they do. 
So anyway, you do what you want with that, but, but don't let them bait you into thinking that this is what a Christian does. They're really a Christian, and this guy isn't, or that woman isn't, or whatever. Don't listen to that. Listen to God, and do what you think is best for this nation, not for what that person says. <clears throat> Matthew 21, 15, and 16. Next slide. Okay. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna, the son of God, son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you... Lord, have called forth your praise. There's, then we see this fifth attitude, and that was in the religious leaders. They wanted to get rid of Jesus their whole time because too many people were following Jesus. And this, oh man, after this, they were really intent on getting rid of him because they didn't like it. They didn't like him proclaiming to be the Messiah because if he was the Messiah, they would have to come and follow him and listen to him. And they didn't like that. They were losing their flock. And that's all they were concerned about. We have too many people concerned about losing their flock instead of following God. And religious leaders are the worst sometimes. We have to worry about what God wants us to do. Now I think that people need to be faithful to their church and their body of believers. I believe that with all my heart. And they should be there every chance that they get. I believe that. But it was the religious people that rejected Christ... The sinners loved him. <clears throat> and they wanted Jesus to tell them, hey, I'm not the one. But Jesus couldn't deny who he was. Despite their attitude of jealousy, hostility, and hatred. John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the same group that gets mad when we say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. They hate us so bad. And so pe some people are so intimidated by it that they say, well, there's other ways to Christ too. Because they don't want to be persecuted for this statement. Now, I don't care if people think I'm narrow-minded about this. The problem isn't with me, it's with Christ. He's the one that said it. And if Jesus said it, he meant what he said and says what he means, whether we like it or not. And all I can do is repeat his words. So if they don't like it, take it up with the author. And Jesus is the only way to heaven. I don't care what church you go to. You can join every single church in the world and die and go to hell. Assembly of God people will be in hell. And other people from other religions are going to be in heaven. Not because of what church they went to or the faithfulness to the church, but how faithful they were to God. Amen. And did they accept him as their personal savior? Because that's the only way you're going to get to heaven. If you try another way, you're a thief and a robber, and you won't make it. So you can make it, and it's so easy. That's the problem with salvation. It is so easy. Jesus says, come to me, bring your sin. I don't care what you look like. I don't care how dirty you are. I don't care how much sin you've committed in your life. It doesn't matter. I died for every one of those sins. And I want to save you. 
I want to cleanse you. I will your sin be as scarlet. I will make you white as snow. That's what Jesus said. But you go to a religion and they try to clean you up from the outside and you struggle more than you ever have to. Because when Jesus comes into our life, his spirit dwells within us and gives us the strength we need to say no to those things. And when we stumble and fall, he says, I still love you. Come back, just confess it. I still love you. That's that is so simple. But we want to make all so hard and so difficult for people. And then that's why they hate religion. It's because we complicate it so much when we don't have to. I'm glad it's simple because I have a simple mind in that aspect. I also have a logical thinking, too. Men are more logical thinkers than women are generally, but I'm more logical thinker. And this sounds logical to me. Let me pay the price. If you want a uh, ticket on an airplane or a train, you have to get a ticket. And you can pay for that ticket or someone else can, but you get the ticket, don't you? Well, Jesus died for our ticket. And all we have to do is accept that ticket, and we get on the train to go to heaven. Amen. That's exciting. I got my ticket, do you? Hallelujah. Now, even the donkey knew who Jesus was. You know, I'd like to tell the people that. The donkey knew who Jesus was, but we got a lot of people that don't. Now, if you ever know anything about wild horses or wild donkeys, you don't just get up on them and sit on them and ride into town. You know what? I remember when I was younger, I went to a, a relative of ours that had a ranch, and they were breaking this one horse, and they thought it might be fun to have me ride this horse. <laughs> I didn't ride horses that much anyway. So I was, okay, do it. It's almost, it's, it's kind of half broke. So I thought, okay, this sounds cool. Okay, so I go up there and you think I'm all cool and just put my foot in the stirrup. As soon as I lift my foot up off the ground, the horse takes off bucking. All around the corral, here I am. And here I am trying to get on this horse because I know if I fall off, I'm going to get trampled. <laughs> so I'm trying the hardest, and then he slows down for a, just a second. And as he slows down, I go like this and boost myself up off, try to boost myself up into the saddle. Just then that horse jumps that five-pole corral fence. And I go over the horse's head over there about 20 feet and hit the dirt. Boy, that was fun. <laughs> Here I am on the same, same tape. I'm getting married, and then there's this. <laughs> kind of fun. It wasn't fun at the time, and I'm probably still paying for that fall now. <laughs> oh, man, these people that do this for a living are crazy. <laughs> but the donkey knew who Jesus was. Luke 19, 39 and 40. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if he kept quiet, the stones will cry out. Even if the religious leaders had tried to get them to shut up, they wouldn't. wouldn't matter. Because if they didn't cry out to God, the stones would. Now that's an awesome statement to make. But it would have happened. Because God can do anything. If man isn't willing to praise him, the earth will. The rocks will. And that's kind of odd because we got a lot of hard-headed people, don't we? See, God can help those hard-headed people praise him. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. God can save me and save anybody. <clears throat> now, what attitude is Christ trying to exp 
expose in us? Have we allowed jealousy or envy to enter our hearts and lives towards what God is doing to someone else? Is our, is our attitude of one being completely sold out to Christ? Do we know that everything that we have belongs to him and he allows us to use it? It isn't how much we give, it's how much he lets us keep because it's his. And I'll tell you, whatever we have is safe in his bank. It's not safe here. If you follow the stock market, you know it goes, whoop, you can lose everything from one day to the next. With God, that doesn't happen. Whatever we give to him, he will bless and multiply. Maybe we've got an attitude towards our friends and family, but our family attitude stinks. Now, if you're treating your friends better than you're treating your family, you need to repent. Because our family is going to be the ones that can testify against us. Because how many kids, if they grew up in your home, would know that you're a Christian? That's important to God. Our attitude towards him at home is important. Not just on Sundays or Sunday nights or Wednesday nights. It's important in your homes. Because that's how your children are going to know. Do your children know you're a believer? If not, you need to apologize to your kids. And tell them, I'm sorry, I haven't been acting like a Christian. I want to do something about that. Will you forgive me? And they'll be shocked. <laughs> How many of you ever apologized to your kids? A few of us, I have. I've had to. Don't like it either, because we're supposed to be right all the time, aren't we? That's why we're the parent. So is our attitude one of doing our own thing, because God knows our heart, so we don't have to worry? Yes, we do need to worry. <laughs> Because if he knows your heart, our heart will may condemn us. If we haven't accepted Christ as our Savior, he will. Are we openly hostile to God and his word and don't believe it and never will? None, none of that matters. Because when Jesus went to Jerusalem to die, we were on his mind. Didn't matter what the crowd was doing. He announced, here I am, and that he died. Hallelujah. <clears throat> he loved 